My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today I'm joined again by James Poulos. Uh, James Poulos is a writer, uh, the founder and editor of The American Mind, uh, a founder and publisher of Return, the author of The Art of Being Free, and his most recent book, Human, Forever, The Digital Politics of Spiritual War. Welcome, James. Hey, Alex. How are you? Good to be back. Uh, I'm very happy you're back, and I'm very sorry because we had a little technical hiccup. So, um, yes, we're this is take two. We're rolling into it. Um, my question again, now you had a bit of a warm up. Is um, I mean, and just to set this up, I my background is kind of in in the in the rationalist space. I, I surround myself with the the less wrong crowd, and um, one of the ideas within the space is that. Um, being human or humanity itself is not necessarily the, the golden measure of things. Um, maybe we should focus more on on consciousness, on suffering, on well-being, on all sorts of newfangled ideas that kind of um, embrace things like, uh, you know, the animal realm, the uh, maybe even um, I think someone was was positing that computer game characters should have a certain degree of, you know, ethical um, care directed towards them. So there's a, there are a lot of ways to conceptualize what should be valued. Um, you here highlight the human. Why is the human um, the the level of abstraction that we should focus on? Isn't that a bit parochial? Well, it's not an abstraction. We are incarnate and souled beings who have who do not own ourselves insofar as we are not the makers of ourselves. Uh, and everything that we know about turning ourselves into objects of our own creation and manipulation <clears throat> is that uh, we start worshiping things that we make. Uh, and, you know, f- with all due respect to the rationalists, I mean, their project seems to me to clearly be busy work for gadget worshipers. Um, it's ridiculous to focus an ethical system around consciousness when you can't even define it. Consciousness has just become a rationale for merging with our machines. Uh, there's still this sort of vestigial idea that we need some sort of like reason to merge with our machines when the world that the rationalists have helped create is one where most people f- feel as if they are running out of um, uh, options other than to merge with our machines under their coercive and all-powerful influence. So look, if it's the turning to our humanity is in a certain sense, a last ditch measure, it's getting down to the bedrock of who we are and why we're here. The triumph of uh, digital entities over the world, over our inner and outer lives throws us back on these ultimate questions, questions that you can't reason away, such as who are we? Why are we here? What does it mean to be human? Why should we put up with the the pain and suffering of being human? And answers to those questions aren't going to come out of logic. They're not going to come out of mathematics. They're going to come out of a religious framework. Uh, And so digital technology is retrieving the theological character of reality. And yes, if you look at quantum physics and some other stuff, you will discover that trying to worship math just makes you insane because it's actually not rational at bottom. Uh, There's something more in the mix and that something more is theological. 
Uh, and so the the revisitation of the human, the focus on the human, you know, this is long overdue. And if you look around at what's happening to people right now, they're losing their minds. They're completely having, a, you know, a psychic break. Um, they're crying out for help. They're crying out for people to save their souls. Save the world is over. Save my soul is here. And uh, f- uh, rationalists can can hide from that reality, but they can't run from it. It's swamping everything. Uh, and other people in other countries are going through this as well. And, uh, you know, if, if Americans and the West does not get with the program, uh, they're going to get rolled. And I think that's why you see the, the woke people doing what they're doing is they're scrambling as fast as they can. Uh, to retcon uh, a, a uh, an ideology of fantasy, um, a, uh, a a program of liberation, uh, into a theology, um, a theology of purification. Uh, it's it's one that I think is ultimately hostile to our human being, hostile to our way of life, hostile to our civilization, um, and hostile to uh, our certainly our forms of government uh, that we've we've. Uh, uh, come to get used to, although even that's beginning to change. Uh, but we, you know, just it's obvious when you look around that uh, that theology is on the upswing and rationalism, reason alone, is on the downswing. And and this theology, you know, wokeness or whatever we want to describe it as, um, has kind of the the conceit of rationalism as its armor. It it pretends to be on the part of science with a with a capital S and uh has its as its high priest these these reasonable rational people who will um feed the the algorithms into society to fix all of our ills. Um but it it also seems to be a religion that's kind of emergent from the system. Like can other forms of religion even compete? Because the internet is kind of a liberating mechanism in many ways. And, and wokeness is a liberating mechanism, liberate, the religion of liberation of autonomy. Uh, on the other hand, um, can the, the internet or, or kind of this digital substrate be kind of used to promote or to um, enshrine some, some other religious, other forms of worship? Well, look, uh, if, if you're running a country right now that's uh, <clears throat> large enough to contain with it a sort of original civilization uh, and powerful enough to be a digital player, you are working really hard on that question right now. Uh, you look at what China's doing with uh, with catechizing its bots into Taoism. I mean, obviously, Russia is going through this. I, you know, you, you've probably heard the jokes as much as I have that, oh, no, Russia's doomed because Netflix is leaving. You know, like this is... This is, from a certain standpoint, very, very good news. And it's it's because it's reflective of the fact that we are in the midst of a global spiritual war. And this war is being waged technologically. So any civilization state that has the, the might and the energy is doing everything that it can right now to reground its sovereignty in the digital space on theological terms. That's just what is happening. And so, I you know, I think that people need to reckon with this fact. And despite the, you know, all the indicators that say that Christianity is is struggling, and of course it's struggling. I mean, this has been going on for over 100 years, uh, but it, there is evidence that that uh, that trajectory is hitting bottom because all of Christianity's major challenges are melting down in the West. This is why we have wokeness, is because all these modern and postmodern doctrines that spun up as, you know, an, an intended replacement for Christianity um, have totally failed already. We see that they're total failures, and we see that the people who are still clinging onto them are the, the most disfigured and insane of the bunch. Uh, so whether it's Christianity in the West, whether it's Taoism uh, in the East, 
these, you know, these, or, or you take the Indian example, you know, Hindu nationalism is alive and well in India. Uh, and, and the Israelis, you know, they're a civilization state of their own and they're, you know, taking measures, although it's, it's complicated for a couple of reasons, they're taking measures to ensure that Israel's digital sovereignty is rooted in the deepest fundamental characteristics of the Israeli people. And this is the model. This is why we're not going to have one world anymore. Uh, this is why Google's project to organize the world's information is uh, is evil and is foredoomed because it, it cuts so dramatically against the grain of the restructuring of human life and social order that digital is bringing to us uh, that it can only result in tears and misery and suffering. And you would think that that's the kind of thing that rationalists would be worried about, but strangely, we don't hear them talking about it. Yeah, they, they worry about other existential risks, asteroids and such. Um, Google is the asteroid. It already hit. The apocalypse that people are afraid of has already happened. We've been swamped by these devices. They've totally worked us over, as Marshall McLuhan, uh, you know, heavily implied that they would. He didn't know that the smartphone was around. He only made it to the computer age. But it, it's it's already happened, and that's why people are stumbling around in public life like zombies, and why people are splitting up into tribes. You know, all the things that we envision would happen during an apocalypse. Well, it already happened, and so the task for before us right now is to you know how to do business, how to maintain a culture, how to preserve our sanity, how to grow markets in a post-apocalyptic world, and how to you know sort rejigger our government and our idea of governance uh, to reflect the fact that this is something that has already befallen us. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's reactionary in that sense that we need to react to events as they've actually unfolded. And we need to deal with the fact that we, oops, we fundamentally transformed human existence. Fortunately, we're still human beings, even though we have some cyborg characteristics. Uh, we have to move fast and we have to use our the, the tools of civilization that have been handed down to us for thousands and thousands of years and are in danger of slipping away. It's on us. If we don't start taking action, if we don't start getting our hands dirty in our technologies, if we continue to feel like we're alienated from them, they're smarter than us, they're better than us, they're cooler than us, they're more aesthetic than us, then, you know, yes, then we may as well sort of just, just walk off the cliff like like lemmings. Uh, but that's not what we have to do. And that's not, uh, that's, that's, that's not what, what, that's not the only way that we can find meaning in life. Uh, we don't have to join apocalyptic cults. Um, we don't have to call down divine punishment uh, out of some, some overwhelming sense of guilt. I mean, you know, as, as bad as things are, uh, millions upon millions of people aren't dying, slaughtering each other. Uh, you know, we've seen still darker, more nihilistic times. Uh, these are just very confusing times. Um, and amid the confusion, people want to worship what it is that's confusing them. It doesn't need to be that way. Uh, if we all take a breath and we recognize that our bodies and souls are sacred gifts and that uh, the properties of the bodies and souls that we've been gifted with carry natural rights with them. And among those rights are the rights to use digital technologies in ways that preserve and enhance our humanity, our form of government, and our way of life. It's all very simple if you look at it that way. And technologies like Bitcoin are sitting there right now that we can grab a hold of and put use to uh, rather than uh, just sitting back and you know waiting for uh, the Borg to uh, assimilate us. Yeah, you're describing kind of this this multipolar, multi-religious world. What would um, what would be the the uh, the the blocker of of total religious war? Because these are obviously creeds that um, 
you know, exist, but they're not completely detached. You know, typically if, if, a, if a religion has the capacity to aspire to global domination, it will probably try to follow through on that. So what is going to stop a um, Taoist versus, I guess, neo, neo-Christian uh, West uh, kind of total, total war uh, in, in the style of, uh, of kind of a, a older religious wars? Leaders who realize and recognize and are cool with the fact that we are stuck with our humanity and warts and all, that is a good thing, need to get together at the highest of levels and ensure that we do not destroy human life through the first digital war. It's in some senses that, you know, this digital war has been playing out already for years. You look at what's going on in Ukraine. This is a manifestation of it. Uh, People need to stop dedicating themselves to destroying other people's civilizations. Uh, It's really dangerous, number one. But number two, it is is a misconception concerning the fabric of reality today. And the way in which coming out of the West, we're getting all this propaganda about how, oh, no, we're not destroying Russian civilization and it's good that we are. This is where immolation comes from. And the Russians, you know, keep talking about nuclear weapons. And no one in the West seems to be willing to understand that Russia is not willing to sacrifice its civilization just to preserve bare life. It's just not. And the similarities between that standpoint and the standpoint of like an Agamben saying like, we shouldn't just accept bare life and, you know, mask up and go into a sort of COVID lockdown for the rest of our lives. This is something that used to be a, 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 a core instinctive sensibility in the West. And, you know, for all the good news that digital is retrieving this theological sensibility, there's some bad news, which is people are looking around and they're beginning to realize that uh, the West doesn't even really want to be the West anymore. You know, can you convince other countries to join the West when the West hates itself, when the West is working as fast as it can to destroy its foundations, to wipe its memories of who we are and why we are the way that we are, and to replace it with something completely new, something that is predicated on uh, a wager that has no uh, cosmic equation equivalent in human history other than ancient Gnosticism. Uh, And the tenets of ancient Gnosticism are remarkably similar, regardless of whether they pop up in Eastern Orthodoxy or Catholicism or Protestantism or Judaism uh, and probably some others besides. You know, these tenets are that the physical material uh, world that we inhabit is created by an evil God and that our only hope for purification is to destroy the fabric of that reality and, uh, and unleash a sort of unified consciousness on the universe. Um, and to see this stuff coming out of people who style themselves as incredibly rational scientists uh, is a major warning sign that the fabric of the West is being ripped apart, that the, the foundations, the roots are being torn out, and these people want to replace it with a swarm with a global swarm uh, in some ways, the very opposite of, uh, of what we've come to think of as the West. Uh, but you know, the, the, the seeds of this have been growing for a long time uh, back before digital was the most powerful technological medium. You had TV, you had radio, and you had these visions, these fantasies in the West of unifying the world under one consciousness. Uh, there's, there's already one consciousness that unifies reality and that's God's consciousness. Uh, but that's not enough for people. They want to. They want to. Uh, they want to merge into divinity. Uh, that's hard work. There, you know, the number of people who have managed, in my opinion, to uh, to uh, achieve union with God is pretty small, um, and and it's pretty small because it it requires suffering. It requires a lifetime of suffering, taking up the cross, a lot of hard work, 
lot of discipline, something with no shortcuts and no substitutes. And right now, the, the, the desperation to find shortcuts and substitutes to get to, you know, heaven in whatever form you think of as heaven, uh, this is, this is going to kill us. And it's already killing many people. Um, it's, it's time to realize that the shortcuts and substitutes are scams. They're not going to work. Uh, and the sooner that we, that we catch on to that, the sooner we'll realize that trying to destroy Russia's civilization or some other civilization and purify it and replace it with their own cosmic civilization, that's not going to work. It's, it is, we got to recognize that the only way we can ameliorate these problems is through humility, through a new kind of humility. Uh, that doesn't mean weakness. Uh, and that doesn't mean uh, 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 self-loathing. Uh, but it does mean, you know, recognizing that we have, uh, we have outstripped our bounds and we are now uh, suffering for it. Uh, and to recognize that the suffering is not the problem, that we can learn from that suffering is something that we can, you know, we, we, we can do. We can follow uh, the, the wise words of Donald Trump. He said, I'm just trying to stop the world from killing itself. <laughs> wise words indeed. Um, it, it feels to me that we're in, in a moment where um, the, you know, the... Um, Imminentizing the the eschaton, bringing bringing upon uh, heaven heaven on earth is actually possible. It's a it's visible for a lot of people, um, even if it's if maybe it's not necessarily possible for everyone, but it is a visible reality. You know, they, we've got all of these um, kind of appearances, all of these these promises coming in through through the screens, um, and the voices that are calling you towards these pleasures, towards these you know fulfillments of whatever desires you have, you know, typically very, very mimetic desires that we have. Uh, they're always coming and they're, um, they're, they're being streamed at you nonstop. So kind of the, the voice that tells you that you don't need to suffer, the voice that tells you that there is fulfillment in the here and now, uh, the voice that tells you that, you know, you can be unchained from the shackles of your body um, is very loud. And I think it's, it's, a, it's deafening to a lot of people. It's very hard to see beyond that. And that's why I feel like a lot of people who have, who've ended up in, in this position, you know, trying to kind of uh, promote the idea that there is something beyond that are people who kind of had, had to go through it, had to go through to the other side and see, okay, you know, you've, you've had the career, you went to the, your Ivy league school, you've, you know, you've worked at the tech company. Um, there is nothing beyond there. You know, you see the lip of the abyss, you know, opening up, you know, before you, uh, once you've completed this checklist of things that you're supposed to be wanting, you know, you've had the, the ideal body mass index and nothing happened. Uh, all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of things that, um, that are, are kind of these promised little, um, I know checkpoints that you have to go through. Uh, it's, it's very hard for me to imagine, you know, kind of like the ancient suffering of, of, of let's say Orthodox Christianity to be appealing to someone who's not necessarily gone through to the other side. Well, look, you don't need to go live in a cave or live on top of a pillar for the rest of your life in order to suffer uh, for, for God's sake and for those of your fellow human beings. I mean, look, the good life is not freaking amazing. The good life is not something to soy face over. The good life is banal. It is, it is repetitive. It is service. It is humble. It is suffering along with, you know, with your family, with your friends. Um, even, even the leadership of a great man, you know, like one reason why people are so, uh, desperate for a kind of in instant perpetual fix of information overload or sensory overload is because they look around for, for strong, dignified, uh, men of vitality, 
uh, and duty, and they don't find any of them. And so in the absence of those kinds of men, uh, the, the scramble for the shortcuts and the substitutes is on because human beings are not fundamentally rational creatures. We're imitative creatures. We're memorious creatures. And if we don't have the kinds of leaders who can focus our souls around the activities, the thankless, unceasing labor of building and rebuilding our civilized world and our, our lives of devotion every day, we spin, we spin out, we spiral out of control. I mean, this is this is a problem that has preoccupied Western political theology from the beginning. You look at Hobbes, you know, Hobbes, a guy who's quite rationalist in his way. Uh, he's patterning his commonwealth on the Mosaic Covenant. He says, yeah, it's got to be the one and the many. The overawing one has to establish temporal and spiritual authority united over the many, Otherwise, the minute that they're left to their own devices, they start doing what? Worshipping golden calves, sacrificing children, killing each other, uh, grumbling, muttering, spiraling into chaos. Uh, you know, whether you're looking at Hobbes or whether you're looking at Locke or whether you're looking at, at Luther or Calvin or any of these guys, all of early modern political thought was it was not taking place in this sort of rationalist vacuum. It was an extended engagement with political theology and with, with the, the fundamental questions about why human beings uh, perform so poorly uh, as a group, at, in groups, um, under, uh, uh, under moments of, of stress and, and protracted times of stress. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's a problem where, you know, guys in their 30s and 40s and 50s uh, there just aren't enough of them showing the way and showing the way not through explaining the world or explaining how to act, but by modeling it, by modeling it publicly. Uh, the collapse of that kind of politics and its attempt to replace it with something that's been expropriated into virtual space. Uh, this, you know, this isn't an advance. This isn't helping people. And uh, for all their insistence that, you know, they're not suffering anymore by logging on. What, the, you know, we all know that the truth is that digital technology has created a portal as a result of our actions and our expectations, it's created a portal onto all new kinds of human suffering. The innovations in human suffering are profound. And uh, there is much laughter and derision still for, you know, the, the fundamentalist Christians of the 1980s, the evangelicals who yell at you about how you're going to hell and the devil's going to stab you with a pitchfork and you're going to be on fire and it's going to be so terrible. And that seems ridiculous. But I think that we are entering into a new theological understanding of the nature of hell, of the phenomenology of hell, due to our experience with digital technology. You know, it's, it's the the analogies that spring to mind for us, uh, the things that we're remembering about who we are and what true, not just suffering, uh, but suffering with alienation from God and from our own identity. Uh, the internet is just just fills our lives with these things if we know where to look. And it's not like being on fire. It's like being... Uh, disfigured. It's like being uh, demented. It, it is uh, uh, sort of inescapably sort of sexually uh, perverse and polymorphous uh, kind of, of suffering and pain and, uh, and, and disfigurement. Um, everyone knows this is happening. We are you know, usually not allowed to talk about it because, you know, Ukraine is boycotting or sorry, OnlyFans is boycotting Russia. Um, I don't know. I, like at, at a certain point, like, yes, you do have to uh, come face to face with the fact that you can't uh, create a shortcut or a substitute to get out from under your suffering. Um, and if you're unwilling to do that, you know, 
it's it's good that we're it, you know, the the people end up in a position where they say like, well, we're not amusing ourselves to death, and it's good that we are. And so, okay, how how long can you carry on that sort of contradictory apparatus? And a lot of people are testing that proposition. There are wagers they can they can carry it on for a long time, and if we stay one step ahead of our true guilt at the at the heart of our conscience. Uh, then, then you know, we can eventually achieve a sort of liftoff, you know, this asymptotic rate of uh, of lying to ourselves, um, and that's and that's the path to divinity. Well, you know, I would dare say that no matter how fast you lie to yourself, you cannot grow wings and become uh, a, a sort of supernatural being that way. Um, you know, that's that is that is the path of the prince of lies. I mean, this is all very old stuff that we've gone over many times before, and just because the internet accelerates the speed at which information is is passing through us, uh, doesn't mean that it can get achieve escape velocity from those old ancient truths. Um, there's um, you you're speaking about hell uh, and how um, kind of the, the digital realm is is creating a, a flavor of hell that that we haven't seen before, though it is still very much anchored in in, in the old demons. Um, the do you think this 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 climate of permanent hysteria it, it feels to me like we're we're just moving from one a uh, totalizing hysteria to another it does feel like this this is the beginning of of actual hell like we started with george floyd like an event that was a serious event even here on in the outskirts of you know like small town romania um then we had covid this strange plague that just destroyed the the very spirit of of every country on earth you know uh, sparking emergency powers that are never ending and now we have ukraine russia which has also drawn some serious fault lines you know people already are, are declaring their allegiances or you know the divorcing family members over this um Is, is this the beginning of, of, of a roller coaster of this type of kind of adrenal, you know, hysteria every what X, X amount of time? Because it seems to be kind of speeding up as well. It's not the beginning. Uh, this has been going on for a long time. I mean, the iPhone debuted in January of 2007 and the, the, the digital form is the swarm. And we have to recognize this for what it is. Uh, the, the hysteria is a sort of symptom or a manifestation of the fact that we are living in a world that has been shot through and suffused with entities that whose formation is the swarm that is their characteristic and an intrinsic formation they are the, the these devices these entities want interoperability above all that is their logic and the logic of what human beings want is incommensurability we want to be me i'm me i matter my life matters my existence matters This is the thing that gnaws away at us, and this is the thing that we want the most comfort with regard to, regardless of our civilization, regardless of our place in history. Uh, and so this tension between human incommensurability and machine interoperability uh, is one that is leading people in a world where they feel that really good and truthfully, it's the machines that rule, leading people to uh, to imitate those machines and to imitate their formation. And in a, in a world where, in a civilization where you no longer really believe that ultimately it is God who puts things into formation, you will conclude that it is digital entities that put things into formation and that the formation that you must be put into is that of the form. That is what we are seeing. That is why we're having, you know, these social contagions with regard to, you know, trans identity. This is why we're having sort of like, you know, George Floyd, a guy who was selling Lucy's on the street 
And, you know, if only New York City had legalized the selling of Lucy's, then none of this would have happened, except we know that it would have happened because of the form of the swarm. And it takes just one sort of little element. You know, what is it that causes a, a murmuration of birds to move in one direction and not another? What is it that causes, you know, the billions of ants uh, in their enormous underground colonies in South America to sort of have one interaction versus another. Um, these are the questions that uh, are now preoccupying our ethicists and our experts. These are the questions, I mean, these same questions apply to viruses. Uh, and this is why uh, 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 Epstein's favorite scientist, uh, Robert Novak, a uh, guy who came out of you know the central Europe and was sucked up into London uh, because the British are obsessed with these things, um, and very quickly uh, and, you know, somewhat mysteriously wound up uh, at the Institute for Advanced Study, which seems to be a part of Princeton uh, University, but isn't, um, and was then uh, scooped up, recruited by, by Epstein to come to Harvard and give him a phone line and an office and a key card that got him throughout the university. And, and you know, what did this guy study? He studied how uh, we, we can uh, pattern, we can reshape human behavior based on the behavior of viruses and bugs in order to be more pro-social. In other words, how to, to conform humanity to the pattern, to the form of the swarm. Uh, so in the absence of any, you know, more powerful uh, God than the machinery that we are worshiping, uh, any, any more authoritative God, people are simply going to uh, become more and more inclined to accept the authority of the swarm. And the minute that you do that is the minute that you are saying goodbye to your humanity. You are replacing it with a cyborg identity and one which the only limits to the, to the, the shape, the configuration of that identity are set by the sovereign. And if you're, you're ready to live that life, then it's going to be very difficult to stop people from going in that direction. It really is. I mean, this is the problem with, with religious war is you can't – it's very hard to talk people out of it, very hard to reason with people about it. They are devoted to a theological framework of reality, and that gives people characteristically the ability to do incredible things, uh, many of which are incredibly stupid and dangerous, yes, uh, but that's, that's the tenor of the times. Uh, and and if you do not want to live the life of the swarm, uh, you, you know, it's it's not a host of choices. It's not a host of options. Yeah, some people are going to want to live in the woods. Some people are want to want to become, you know, brave and heroic leaders and other stuff in between. Um, but in the main, you know, you got to choose your theology. You got to choose who, who it is that you're going to worship. You can't serve two masters. Uh, and if, if uh, Western civilization or American civilization are going to be preserved in anything that's recognizable, uh, it's, it's very clear what side, you know, what side you need to be on. Who, who is this book for? Um, I asked this question because um, obviously many people should be learning about these, these aspects, but it seems to be that any change that, you know, this book in a way mandates uh, would have to be an, a change at the level of, of elites of people who realize the danger, uh, who kind of are, are willing to, to, to push these ideas. Um, I mean, I'm curious who, who did you have in mind when you wrote this book? Well, look, uh, human forever is a book that anyone can read. Um, and it was published on, on the Bitcoin blockchain at canonic.xyz to show people, not just to, to tell them, but to show them, uh, that they don't need to be uh, elites, they don't need to be experts, they don't need to be credentialed ethicists, they don't need to be coders, they don't need to be spurgs, they don't need to be rationalists, they don't need to be anything in order to begin right now building and using uh, cultural market institutions that protect and defend their humanity and their way of life uh, on a digital footing 
right now. Uh, that is why the book is where it is. That is why I published it the way that I did. Yes, the technology is cool. Yes, it has certain advantages. But really, this is about showing that just as it used to be in America, where Americans were very comfortable with their technologies. They were tinkerers. They were inventors. They did not get used to the idea that like, well, the military intelligence complex really just creates all of the science with its magic money. And then the science that it creates is all weaponized. Eventually, those weapons are repurposed into entertainment for us. That's not how it used to be in America. That's not really in America's DNA. That really didn't start happening until World War II and afterwards. And most of the guys, to be quite honest, who started that off were not Americans. They were Hungarians. No offense. They were Germans. And, you know, not all bad guys. Um, some of them, you know, Nazis. But uh, but what is even more important than their moral fiber or their provenance is the fact that they were instrumental in creating a technological environment uh, based on a medium that reworked American life in a direction that alienated ordinary people from the use and experience of technology. And that is a big problem for Americans because Americans need to busy themselves. They need to get their hands dirty. If Americans become passive, they turn inward, they go crazy, they brood, they feel alienated, they feel like life is never long enough. I mean, Alexis de Tocqueville covered all this stuff. And he says that the great alternatives uh, coming out of the, you know, going into the, the, uh, the 20th century, basically, uh, were equality and freedom in the U.S. or equality and servitude in Russia. Well, you know, things have changed a little bit, but those two fundamental choices, even if they don't quite map geographically as well as they used to, uh, those are still the, the, the fundamental choices. And so this, you know, this book isn't, in that sense, a book only for elites. Uh, at the same time, like, there's no question that the leading cadres in the West have turned against the West. They've turned against Christianity. They've turned against humanity. They've turned against their own people. Um, and they're a menace. And what they're doing is not only a, a, a bad idea uh, or a bad plan in a moral sense, it's, it's a bad one in the sense that it's not going to work, I don't think. At the end of the day, the graft is not going to take. And, you know, it, this is in a literal sense, this is what we're about to discover uh, with biotechnology, where, you know, you, you think that you create a fancy new vaccine that's going to be a huge innovation and, and change the way we do uh, medicine. And then it turns out like, well, maybe those vaccines aren't so great after all. Um, uh, you, you, you want to implant things into the human body. You, you think that like, well, you know, I can, I can carve a huge chunk of my thigh out of my leg and I can create a pseudo penis with it. And, you know, now I am whatever I say I am. And of course we know that the reality is different. We know that SSRIs are, you know, d do not deliver on their promise. We know that, that purity blockers and hormone blockers, you know, these, this is just more, more of an attempt to use substitutes um, and shortcuts uh, to to get us to to a place where we think that we can get just by saying God damn it I want it. That's not the way that it works. Um, and so yes, we need elites who are cognizant of all these things and who furthermore understand that um, that all is not lost. You know that 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 there is still plenty enough room for action in our slices of human space time that we inhabit uh, to refound our institutions to refound our regimes. Uh, in a manner that is consistent with um, our deepest traditions, uh, but is suited for uh, thriving and surviving uh, and, and persevering in the digital age. At the at the beginning of the book, you have something of um, either a warning or an or an incantation. 
I'll just read it out. Um, this generation shall not pass until all these things are fulfilled. And that's kind of is very striking at the beginning of the book. I mean, what what was the intention of, of this passage? Is this um is this your your wish for the impact of the book, or is it something that you've you've made into your your own um I don't know, your 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 own mon- mantra? Is this the purpose of your of your work now? Well, these are the words of Jesus Christ uh, to his disciples. Um, there's you know, a few points, few points in the Bible where uh, the conversation turns to the apocalypse, to, you know, well, wow, if you're the Messiah and you're finally here, then what's next? And questions that are hard to separate for us today from the kinds of apocalyptic conversations that surround technology and what it's doing to us. And so, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's very important to, to meditate on these matters because there is a powerful temptation uh, for, for Christians. Uh, there has been in the past and especially now today to convince themselves that the return of Christ and the return of the Father in an apocalyptic way uh, is imminent. Um, and indeed, you know, Christians are, are meant to be ready for that return, for that, for the end times. Um, but it's one thing to be ready for the end times. And it's another to pridefully, uh, expect, uh, or demand the end times now. And I think that if you, you know, if you read the words of Jesus in this regard, uh, he's quite clear, you know, uh, things will be bad. There will be, uh, many charlatans who, uh, try to convince you that they're me or that the end times are here and uh, don't believe them. They will try to deceive you. Do not be deceived. When I return, you will know that it is me. It will be undeniable, inarguable, beyond doubt. Uh, these are just the words of Jesus, his disciples. Um, and they, they're like, okay, okay. Uh, but, you know, but when is it going to happen? Uh, and he says, this is something that only the father knows. Not even I know when the end times will be. And that kind of radical humility should be comforting and calming, especially to Christians. But in the face of this insanity that we are going through, uh, in the face of the the overawing totality of this new and still emerging uh, rival to the Christian God and to Christian religion and to Christian political theology, uh, I think, you know, too many Christians are, are, are becoming too convinced too fast that, you know, the, the clouds are about to part and the seals are about to be opened um, and the many horrors of Revela- uh, Revelation are about to be uh, visited upon us. Uh, plenty of horrors are being visited upon us right now already, uh, especially in the spiritual realm. Uh, and I know that it can be uh, disorienting. For, you know, you look outside your window and you're like, well, you know, the earth hasn't burned to a cinder yet, as we were told that, that it would. And like, well, you know, like COVID hasn't like destroyed life on earth like we were told that it would. And, you know, why, you know, terrorism has kind of petered out and, you know, we still haven't had nuclear war. Yet in the virtual realm of our spiritual lives, it's pandemonium. It is a nightmare world. It is boom. I know that can be disorienting. But Christians need to like listen, listen to Christ and recognize that the end times are not for us to decide. No matter what we create, no matter how many mistakes that we make, we are not the trigger for the end times. Not even Jesus Christ. 
This is something that will only happen in the space-time of God the Father. And so I wanted to make that clear at the outset of the book because this has to do with generations. And this has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, I'm a father, I have a son who's about to come of age, and he's going to be one of the first to come of age uh, without any personal living memory of life before the digital age. And in that sense, they are a first generation, a founding generation. And so a special duty, a special burden uh, is placed at the feet of you know, people who are more or less in my generation. Uh, some of them proud exennials, some of them spread across some other generations. Uh, and it's up to us to raise these kids uh, with an inherited memory of life before digital and an inherited understanding of the ways in which our humanity has been gifted to us authoritatively to persist and last even under these new and uncanny circumstances. And so the things that I cover in this book, yeah, events are moving very quickly. You know, I wrote this book in July of last year, and I hope that it remains you know, relevant long enough to be of use people as events continue continue to unfold. But I think that it will. And I think that, you know, most uh, of, of what I wrote down in that book uh, is um, is not just going to continue to be relevant, but is going to uh, is going to come true, is going to be become commonsensical uh, to people as events unfold. Uh, and I and I do think that, you know, if if my Twitter feed and the Twitter feed and signal chats of of my my uh, colleagues and friends are, are any indication you know, even just a year or two ago, the comment that I would often hear is, well, you know, uh, I don't, ultimately, I just don't really understand what you're saying. Uh, but the comment that I'm hearing now most often is like, well, you know, that's all very well and good, but I don't understand Bitcoin. So progress, progress is happening. Uh, people are recognizing this. How could they not? It's every single day. It's every second of every day. You cannot make it through your day without hearing about transsexuals and trans transgender people even though they're, they're at this point, you know, what, less than, less than half a percent of the population or something. I mean, these things are inescapable and they're inescapable for reasons. And those reasons are becoming increasingly commonsensical as in the face of this information overload, we do what, what anyone does face with information overload. Recognize patterns. The, the recognition of patterns is becoming more and more clear. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I, I stand by the words in the book uh, in part because, you know, it's not because they're mine, but because I'm trying to hold up a mirror to what's going on. Uh, and, you know, in, in that regard, when it comes to matters apocalyptic, I don't think there's any better authority still to this day than Jesus himself. Yes, I mean, to, to betray my, my cafeteria Catholicism because I didn't recognize uh, the quote in any way, um, I, I still have a pretty kind of a reactive, like almost pretty like instrumental, like, uh, you know, via negativa relationship with religion where I, I just, I couldn't imagine it not being so, which is very, it's, it's much less than, than revelation and it's much less than like having like a personal epiphany. Still waiting on that. Um, I feel like I've kind of, I've gotten to this point almost, almost through rationalist means. Like it, it literally had to go, like calculate my way to this point because for some reason that's, that's kind of the, the soup I've been swimming in. I've, I've, um, read it atheist myself so hard that it's so, it's, it's very complicated for me to have a kind of, um, a spiritual relationship to the, to the matter of reality itself. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people 
in this area that are kind of finding their way back to religion via strange ways. Um, but it does feel to me that it's very hard to compete with the kind of the, the woke religion. I mean, do you think that there's, um, there is a way where it's going to fizzle itself out. It's going to escalate to a point where it has to collapse because the, the strange thing is that, you know, even, even my, my mom, I was talking to her a few days ago and she was like, Oh, you know, what are you going to do if you, if your child is transgender, you know, Oh, it's, it's, it's fine. And I'm like, they got to you. I can't believe it. So, you know, she, she's, she's religious and, of, you know, a pretty much older generation religious, probably more religious in many ways than me. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that this, this is kind of permeated up to, to people like that from a different generation in like a very peripheral country of the empire, uh, is, is very concerning to me. And it doesn't seem to be like there is a break. Like, you know, I, I asked her like, okay, so what do you imagine this to be then? You know, we're, we're talking hormones, mutilation, you know what, what should be should we be fine about this this escalated obviously into the whole thing but uh it's uh it's 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 quite scary to me that um you know I, I don't see the the power struggle ending well for christianity well i mean you know if if the bible is to be believed um there's still a tremendous amount of suffering in store and i mean on a on a brighter note you know, it's it's just a disaster what we see unfold in front of us because we know that we human beings love to lie to ourselves. We love to rationalize things. We love to convince ourselves that we're doing something by choice when we're really not. When we're really doing something because we feel we have no choice at all. Uh, and the authority of the swarm is powerful. And it is terraforming people in right down to their souls every single day. And they're allowing it to happen because they feel like they have no choice. Um, and they feel like they have no choice because they feel like they have no, uh, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, either you have the courage or you don't. Either you have the faith in God or you don't. And if you do, then you will accept pain and suffering and humiliation. And you will be willing to die for your faith. And if you are not, then you open yourself up to dying for someone else's faith or your soul dying because someone else wants it to. You know, the Soviet Union fizzled out. And at what cost? You know, I mean, this is why people people look right past this stuff because they don't want to deal with it. But Vladimir Putin is out there saying, basically, look, the Soviet Union was a catastrophe. Its collapse was a catastrophe. The period of rule of the Soviets was a catastrophe. Its creation was a catastrophe. Lenin was bad. The whole thing was uh, a group of fanatics who convinced themselves that they could replace the energy of the soul with the energy of the machine on a society-wide and ultimately global global level. And they, they shot their shot. And what did they get? They got collapse. They almost destroyed Christianity in Russia. They almost destroyed Russia's environment. I mean, where's the RLC these days? Oh, it's gone because of communist uh, uh, materialism. Uh, why, you know, how, how's it going in Kaliningrad these days? Oh, it's, it's the most polluted port in Europe, if not the world. I, I haven't kept up on Kaliningrad water, uh, quality, but it's bad. Um, so it's almost blew up the world with nuclear weapons, you know, really bad. Uh, and is it because they're Russians or is it because they fell prey to the image of the swarm, the image of, of merging human beings together with the energy of the machine in order to transcend the merely human. You could read Trotsky on literature and revolution. And he's like, yes, the point of communism is to create the Superman. 
And yeah, it fizzled out eventually. Uh, although now, you know, now it's the West who are the communists who want to create superhuman beings by merging consciousness in the machine. And now it's Russia who's like, well, you know, we tried that. It didn't work very well. And that's why Putin's saying, and, you know, Putin's not some figure who Americans should worship. He's just someone who's, who's been through some shit. And he says, you know, Russians want moderate conservatism. They don't want any more messianistic people seizing control of society and trying to build some apparatus that's pure and can purify them. And why is that? Well, because they tried it and it didn't work. And they're lucky to have made it through on any level at all. Who will heed this warning? Will the guardians of the rules-based international order heed this warning? Or will they agitate for a no-fly zone, meaning you have to shoot down every Russian aircraft that flies over Ukrainian airspace? Uh, I think it was the Met in New York City where you got people throwing little paper airplanes down into the abyss, all wearing masks. What does this mean? What, what theology is at work here? Uh, not a good one. Um, not a good one. And so, yeah, sure. Yeah, wokeness can fizzle out. You know, the cyborg theocracy uh, that uh, the, the wokies are going to find themselves complicit in creating, that can, that can fizzle out. But it might take 50 years, might take 500 years. And we don't know. I mean, the swarm is very powerful. And I think the answer to all this is not to compete. You know, this is, this is why I pull out my copy of Zero to One and I say, like, this is more than just a business book. Um, <clears throat> competing with your enemies is not the way to prevail over your enemies. Uh, I mean, competing with your friends is not the way to prevail over your friends. Uh, competition has its virtues. And, uh, and some of those virtues are baked deep down into the Western psyche and Western civilization. I mean, you look at you look at Bitcoin, and this is something that's very Western, very Protestant. Uh, uh, things are added to the chain by computers and the people behind them competing to solve math problems. That's what the blockchain is, uh, and that's very Protestant and it's very Western. And then the strange thing is, you know, that so many Protestants have obsolesced themselves because they think that that's the secret at the heart of their religion uh, that they can't wield Bitcoin effectively. Uh, they they look right past it and they look to the swarm. Uh, so, you know, what Christians need to do, and this isn't just for Christians, but this is an important part of it. If, if Christianity is gone, the West is gone. And Americans, you know, generally is do not try to compete with the Wokies. Do not try to explain to people why this is, you know, bad or wrong. Uh, what you need to do instead is you need to create, you need to inhabit, you need to embody a way of living uh, that is commanding of imitation through its virtue, through its discipline, through its vitality, through its, its aesthetic beauty, you know, through its proof of the fact that we can found things still. We are still, we, we still have the, the capability and the competence to erect new social and cultural institutions that can preserve what it is that civilizations are always supposed to preserve about our humanity and about the, the natural rights that inherit as, as constituent properties of our being. So this is in, in large part a, a bottom-up endeavor that starts in, in the heart of, of each of the readers or of each person participating in, in this line of thinking. Um, like, how do you personally uh, ensure or, or try to ensure that you are human forever and, and the people around you remain human forever? 
Well, uh, you know, beyond the spiritual disciplines that are involved, um, you know, I, this, this stuff has to manifest in the world on some level. And so, uh, the, the projects that I'm involved with right now are, are reflective of that. Uh, there's the book and we talked about that a little bit. Um, and then there's return, uh, and it's, it's a website, uh, it's a publication, but it's much more than that. It's a, it's a community. Um, it's part of a digital commonwealth that we're building, uh, over at new founding. So, uh, return.life is where you want to go to check it out. Um, and you know, we, we are accepting memberships, uh, not just subscriptions. Yeah. You get the website, you can get our, our very highly aesthetic print quarterly that's going to be coming out. You can subscribe to that. We invite you to do so, but the community is about much more, uh, you know, you'll have forums, you'll have special events, you'll have, uh, access to, you know, rare, epic and legendary, uh, return items, uh, physical and digital. Um, and you'll be part of uh, really, you know, a, a founding project, a project that anyone can take part in to help uh, set America up on a digital footing uh, in a way that allows us to live the lives that we want to live, that we're capable of living, lives where we protect the integrity and the identity of ourselves, of our families, of our, of our you know, uh, uh, co-religionists, of our uh, communities, um, those we encounter, our neighbors, those we encounter in the marketplace. Uh, basic stuff, you know, stuff that we've taken for granted for way too long, stuff that we trusted those in charge to, to safeguard for us. They are derelict in that duty. They've turned against us in that respect. Um, and so it's up to us to just start building. Uh, and the time is, is now and the ability to do it is now we've got the resources, we've got the technical capability. Um, all that we need are people who are, are brave enough and, uh, and honest enough to recognize the situation that we're in, um, and to, uh, to have some fun wagering on themselves uh, in working together to build. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend you. You had to return that life. I've actually been published in return as one of the first people. I'm very honored. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask kind of the kind of the obvious question: Why not like anarcho primitivism? Uh, why not just? That's the obvious question to me. <laughs> it's like you know, uh, to me, it feels like th there is an argument to be made that this. Um, kind of the demonic aspect, uh, the decadent aspect is built into the nature of the technology itself because it is, um, you know, it, it facilitates um, a kind of a frictionless existence where, you know, you you have all of these things, they, they're, you're just kind of plugging into literal demons all day. That's just the, the, the thing that is the easiest thing to come to you through these systems, through these machines. Uh, it's a very kind of hard spiritual quest to overcome this. Why not just cut all of the heads of the Hydra, just raise it, and then go back to the, the homestead with three goats and, uh, you know, try to, you know, relive, I guess, you know, the Amish style, complete uh, annihilation of any sort of uh, extraneous tools. Look, if you want to run away from the fight, if you want to cede uh, space time to the swarm, uh, and you want to, you know, buy yourself a couple years until one day the cyborg theocracy rides to your farm and seizes everything, uh, you know, there's the door. We really don't have the time or the energy to keep people around who aren't willing to fight, uh, not compete, but to, but to claim territory, to build forts, to build monasteries, to build schools, you know, and we need everyone we, we can get. Uh, people are going to, are going to have different roles, different skills, different abilities, and that's great. Um, and yeah, you know, if you want to carve out, uh, periods of time in your day or your month or your year to not stare at a screen. Uh, I invite you to do that. 
you know, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, balance is important and everyone's ability to sort of like find their, their zone, uh, mentally, you know, that that's, of course, that's worth putting time and energy into. Uh, but do not kid yourself. The swarm is building a new regime that wants everything. It wants the whole and it wants you to be part of that whole, an undifferentiated part of that whole. Uh, and if you think that you can just go retreat into the woods, um, and that there won't be a price to pay for that. Uh, and if you think that you can convince, you know, your friends to go retreat into the woods and that you can, you know, find a shortcut to Eden that way, it's not going to be so simple. It's not like the old days when you could just grab your musket and march out into the field and take some pot shots at the redcoats. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Hey, we're free. Um, and of course it wasn't even that easy during the revolutionary war. Uh, but in some respects, you know, it was easier. Uh, today, y- you can't just strap on your AR and ride out into the countryside and fight a pitched battle with the regime and win and pat yourself on the back and go back home to your farm. Uh, in fact, today, you can't even uh, wage digital war effectively against your regime and expect to have a happy revolution. Um, things are just not that way. And so if, you know, if you want, if you want to win, it's not going to happen by convincing your buddies to drive a Hilux over to the server farm and, you know, take that Amazon. That's not viable. And it's certainly not recommended. Um, you got to fight in a different way. Uh, and that different way is going to be to engage in the spiritual war, um, and to, uh, to do your part in catechizing our digital machines, um, into, uh, the right, kind of worship and the right kind of political theological framework to maintain uh, the way of life that that is uh, that is what Americans um, recognize as being worth the trouble of being American at the end of the day. It's work to be American. There's trouble. It's not always peaceful. It doesn't always make you feel good. It doesn't always make you feel more sane. Um, and if you want to, you know, if, if you want to enjoy the benefits of that kind of suffering and struggle, of the obligation to rebuild the operating parts of your world every day, you got to you got to enjoy, you know, you got to protect um, and you have to experience and pass down uh, the benefits of liberty, the benefits of the social order uh, that is founded on an understanding of God as a beneficent creator of our given selves uh, armed with and equipped with uh, natural rights uh, to u- use our, our faculties and our abilities uh, for our good in the world. Um, and and that's, that's not because I said so. That's because that's what the, the options are. Uh, so, you know, you want to be a primitivist. I wish you well, you know, go get out of here because if you stick around and you harbor these thoughts, it's not going to be helpful to the cause. And we need, you know, the, the, the cause needs uh, people who understand what time it is and understand what role they can play in it. So there is no way back from the digital substrate. It's just we need to conquer the digital because it is the next the next step. Well, you know, the, the way back would be a, a collapse on a scale that is really too horrible to contemplate. Um, people will contemplate it anyway, uh, but hopefully not for very long because (laughs) it's so bad and so total that it can become just another way of distracting yourself 
from your duties and responsibilities. You know, just kind of getting lost in the dystopia is that invitation is always there and it's always powerful and it sucks people in and it can suck you in too, even if, you know, in, in other ways you're doing everything right. So rather than focusing on your worst nightmares, you know, focus on what's already happened to us. That's bad enough to, to check the box of like, I'm a concerned citizen. Like, yes, just look at what's already happened and do what we can right now to, uh, to forge, um, the world that, that we need in order to be who we are. Exactly. And I, I feel like an, an awareness of what's happened up to this point is, is very necessary to awaken this, um, this kind of spiritual dimension in people. I feel like a lot of people haven't really, they, they don't know what time it is yet. I feel like reality is starting to remind them what time it is with all of, you know, this, this constant hysteria It's also distracting them from what time it is, obviously. But, um, there's, uh, you know, someone, I think it was, uh, Ernst von Zyl came on this podcast. He made a really good observation. He's in South Africa, obviously there, the time is a little bit, uh, you know, more, more acute. Uh, and it's, uh, there are things are, are more, uh, yeah, they've particularly, it's already tomorrow. And so, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very, very much tomorrow. Um, and he was describing the fact that, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have it any other way, uh, because, uh, it, it can, it gives his life kind of the spiritual dimension that a lot of people are missing in the world. Like he is an actor in, uh, uh, you know, in this, in the tale of his people, he has infinite meaning in a way, in a world that is starved of meaning because he is in, you know, he's, he doesn't have a choice, you know, he feels called to, to, you know, protect his particular ethnicity. There, there are all sorts of layers to this, but um, I thought that was that was something really important. And I feel like you know everyone talks about the crisis of meaning, but in a way, the meaning is just there to be picked. You know, the the world is ripe for you to to step up to your meaning. Um, and this doesn't have to be some you know grand ethnic conflict in a in a war zone, but uh, it's it's a it's a spiritual conflict, and it it, it is kind of calling us out. It is. Uh, people exist. People exist. They are real. They are just as much people as you are a person and they're right there and you can do things with them and you can mutually recognize the fact that you are, you know, that you are, are, are incarnate and souled beings created by loving God for a purpose. Uh, that is powerful. And to, to look past that and, and to focus on the mutations and the horrors that are just sort of oozing out of the cracks of the digital world, uh, that's a terrible mistake. Um, and it comes at a very high, high cost. So, you know, I would re refer to the meaning that you can find in there as eternal meaning more than, than infinite meaning. Uh, you know, I associate infinity with the, the religion of the swarm. Uh, you look at a book like, uh, the beginning of infinity by David Deutsch, and he's just quoting Isaac Asimov, who basically said like, oh, we need to get over eternity and then we get infinity as our prize for, for disenchanting eternity. I think that's a big mistake and that's part of the problem. Uh, but yeah, we are, we, if <laughs> we cannot sit around and complain about what's happening to us, if we are too awkward or too lazy or too black pilled or, or whatever it is, any one of the infinite number of excuses that we can concoct to convince ourselves that we, uh, are actually in the right doing the wrong thing, um, to actually just participate in life with our fellow human beings to love our fellow human beings, the people around us, our neighbors, our families, our friends, like sacrifice for them, work for them, suffer for them. It unlocks prizes. It unlocks advantages. It unlocks 
um, a, the, a real future, a lived future, one that 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 has that faces in it that we recognize. You know, I mean, this is this is the the teaching of the lives of the saints, as well as you know, just sort of me me talking on a podcast. You know, this is this is this is stuff that we that we need to remember. We already know it. We already learned it. We just need to remember it. Fantasizing about terrible things. The imagination is not going to save us here. Uh, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember what it is to be human. Uh, we need to get back in the habit of doing those things. We need to instill our kids with, with you know, form those memories in their minds when they're young enough so that they know them not just by head, but by heart. Uh, because, you know, we are not, we are not our minds and our minds are not our brains and our brains are not computers. Uh, even a lot of people who, who say that they don't believe that sort of fear that it's true on the inside. And you got to crack that. You got to get over that. Remember who you are and remember why you're here. And that'll open the doors for you to do what it is that you were put here to do. Yeah. And, and the best way of remembering is like you said, you know, step back and, and kind of go back to, to meet space in a way to, to the other, the other people. Uh, cause there is a uh, dare lie, uh, riches, you know, starting a community garden will give you 1,000 hard points. <laughs> um, before I let you go, I want to ask you the question of the show again. I know maybe you have the same answer, maybe you don't, but I want to ask you about your subversive thinker of choice. Who is it that we are all ignoring and could benefit from? Who are we all ignoring? Not all. Most. Most people. <laughs> Who are most of us? So, so but, but we can actually benefit from this person. Mm-hmm. I should have prepared for this moment, um, but I've been too busy launching return. Uh, subversive thinker who we should all listen to. Well, I mean, I've gone this far. Why, why not go all the way and say that, like, honestly, like, read and listen to what Vladimir Putin is saying. You don't have to like love him. You don't have to support him. You don't have to endorse him. Certainly don't worship him. But like he's saying things publicly and he has for years and he's been around for 20 years at the top of the Russian food chain. This is not a place that I would want to be. I'm glad that's not my job. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would want the job of governing Russia. Okay. And the guy's still around. And every day, this is his every day, and it's been his every day through the entire period of digital transformation that we've been experiencing. And he's experiencing it as a guy who started out as, you know, kind of like a, a, a disgruntled communist with some sort of normal young guy ambitions. Okay? So, like, this guy has seen what has become of our world, and he's seen it from a very strange and very revealing vantage point. And he has some stuff to say about it. And yeah, there's propaganda. And yeah, you know, you can't always, you, you can't just read it as if it descended from the heavens on clay tablets. But it is important reading. And it's important that we understand why Putin says the things that he says. Um, and that some of, you know, a, a decent amount of what he says is actually reflective of realities that we oftentimes don't want to be true. And so we tell ourselves lies about what is true. Um, you know, he's not, uh, and, and again, like there, I know that there are some, some folks in our space who are like, you have to read Dugan. This guy explains everything. He's the genius. He's Putin's brain. 
that's not what I'm here to say. I think that his relationship with, with the Russian regime is much more complicated and much more attenuated than it's given credit for. And, and Dugan appears to be now the sort of, you know, end times guy who I am not. And I'm cautioning people not to become this end times guy. We do not want a political theology of the end times. We do not want to create a political theology where we're basically doing everything that we can, trying to accelerate into the end times. Uh, that's not our business. That's not ours to do. That's dangerous, prideful stuff that has done huge damage to humanity over millennia before and can do even more now. Uh, and what's interesting to me is that Putin is not saying these things. Putin is not an end times guy. Putin is saying like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll launch the nukes. If you really want to, you know, if you want to, if you want to terraform Russia into oblivion and turn us into Belgium, then, you know, then why not just, just launch the nukes? Um, and that strikes Americans as crazy. Uh, and in a way, you know, I, I don't think that I would be launching the nukes in that situation. Uh, but by the same token, you know, if, if your civilization is, becomes an, an, a theological foe of the West and Western elites think like the only way that we can have a just world is by destroying the civilization and replacing it with our cyborg theocracy. Well, yeah, then, then yeah, you know, a, a country with people in it who refuse uh, to accept that fate might just start doing some things that strike us as crazy. Uh, so yes, you know, it's, it's worth spending some time with the, the remarks of Vladimir Putin. You will learn from them. He's definitely a subversive thinker by our standards. And, you know, he's not, this isn't some gospel. Russia's never going to be a model for America, uh, whether in its form of governance or culturally. Uh, yes, there are some things that we can learn from the Russian experience. Yes, they're still really part of the West. Um, and, and yes, you know, uh, Russia's experience with Christianity is one that I think continues to have very powerful lessons for Americans. Uh, even though I think it's 1% of, of the American population that's, that's orthodox of any kind. Uh, but all that said, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it is required reading. Um, and I think that, uh, that even spending a little bit of time with is just kind of going through, uh, what, what Putin is trying to say to whoever it is who's listening, uh, is, is worth more than, you know, maybe spending, uh, a graduate school career sort of reading, uh, more academic thinkers. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. I mean, I've I've read his his more recent speeches. Um, there's some things obviously that I probably would object to in in, in there, but it it is he, he's not insane, you know, as as far as people try to paint him as some some unhinged person who just woken up one day and said, okay, today is the day that I invade Ukraine. There are there are layers to this, and um, the the strange thing is that you know being a civilizational foe to to the U.S people still tend to accuse you of being a bit of a crackpot by, by, you know, reading Dugan, which I also think, you know, Dugan is like one of those people who is, is very interesting in his diagnosis of the problem. I think he should be studied for, for how he lays out the, the civilizational conundrum. His solutions, as are many people's solutions, are a bit more, you know, crackpotty as, as solutions tend to be. It's much easier to diagnose than to, you know, offer solutions. So um, I think anyone who's interested in, in Russia, even as a civilizational foe, even as, you know, you want to learn how to destroy them, is probably good to uh, is probably well to 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 read these uh, these thinkers and and to study the problem a bit more closely, just even to understand why Russia is the way it is. So I think this is a very good recommendation, very subversive. Um, and I want to thank you very much for coming on. Um, I also want to point people to uh, it's uh, at canonic.xyz, um, Human Forever. 
That's right. Um, and to return.life, uh, the new website, uh, which contains an essay by yours truly as well, um, and uh, wonderful works by by other writers on topics of, uh, yeah, of, of how to stay human forever. Uh, and also on um, on Twitter, at James Poulos, no? Yes, always. Not always on Twitter, but my my emanations are always there for you. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. Thanks so much, Alex. Always a pleasure. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible. So thank you. <laughs>